Welcome to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. 1821 was the year leadership first appeared in a dictionary, and that is what inspired Dr. Rusty Holman to name his new healthcare firm, 1821 Health. Holman has served on the front lines of healthcare for more than 25 years, both as a physician and as a healthcare executive. Holman found that leadership was often lacking in both settings. He talked to McKnight's Home Care Daily about how that inspired him to launch his new firm. Early on, I found that it's one thing to be well-trained in caring for patients. And that's why I went into medicine in the first place, was to help and to be, um, uh, be, to be with people in their time of greatest need and see how I might be able to support them through that period of time. Um, once I began practicing, uh, I found that there is a lot more to medicine and a lot more to healthcare than simply knowing clinically the right things to do and how to directly care for each individual patient. It requires teamwork. It requires excellent communication skills. It requires building respect within a group, uh, building trust, uh, managing conflict, giving and receiving difficult feedback. And these were all things that we were never taught in medical school, certainly were not taught in residency. And in fact, in many ways, our training had worked against us. Training as a physician, we were really nurtured to be more uh, rugged individualists than team players, uh, the sole decision makers, uh, the, the top of the hierarchy. And that simply does not work. That does not engender great health care um, because it's always a team. So I reflected on my training prior to medicine, and I am a, uh, I have a double degree in psychology and religious studies. And so I spent a good deal of time understanding how people work, how they think, how they are motivated, how they behave within groups and cultures. And I began melding this together. And early on, built several leadership development programs over time for different companies in my professional medical society. And I decided finally it was time to break out on my own and do this full time. What role does that play, this lack of leadership that you're talking about? How is that playing into what we're seeing today with the burnout rate among healthcare workers and the inability to attract people to the field? Yes. And I think it's even worse than that, Diane. It's people that are in the field that are leaving the field um, or they're seeking lower stress options within healthcare. And it truly is a national workforce crisis. What I'm seeing is the approach that many organizations are taking is to look at burnout through the lens of the individual. So, Many approaches focus on individual wellness, building resilience, and trying to um, engender a sense of endurance through times of stress for the individual. And while I wholeheartedly support those initiatives, things like teaching people how to meditate, um, uh, practicing mindfulness, 
taking a little bit of time off. Um, uh, better uh, eating habits, eating more salmon. Um, all the things that, uh, that we've seen and providing mental health support, that is all very important. The approach that I prefer to take um, in terms of the priority is looking at the environment that people are working within um, and treating that as the most important component for why people are feeling such stress, burning out and leaving the profession. Um, think of it as working within a nuclear power plant. And when the reactor is working fine, everyone is, is business as usual. But if there is a reactor leak, um, one of two things can take place. We can tell people, okay, double up on your protective suit um, and keep working, or we can address and fix the leak itself. And I'm not necessarily advocating one without the other, uh, but my focus and the focus of leadership should disproportionately be on working to improve the environment that people are in every day. And part of that is empathizing with people's reality and understanding that people at the front line feel a complete loss of autonomy. Uh, they don't feel able to affect their work environment, fix broken processes, and help build a positive culture. So leadership um, not only needs to recognize that from a senior level, but imparting foundational leadership skills upon those at the front line and closest to the front line helps to empower people with new abilities to be able to impact their environment and to actually have the skills to help repair broken processes, systems, and contribute to a positive culture. So it sounds like what you're saying is, and, and we see this a lot in corporate America, it's a top-down culture where the edict comes from the top. It sounds like what you're saying is companies, particularly those in healthcare and home care, home health care, need to tap into the people at the ground level to improve what the company is doing and to empower those employees. Am I, am I hearing you correctly? You're absolutely correct. My experience is that the distance between those that are making the decisions, allocating budgets, deciding what resources we are going to acquire, and those actually doing the work is growing greater and greater. In some contexts, it's been called the ivory tower syndrome. And yet, when we look at who are those that are best positioned to make decisions and fix things that are broken, build public trust, it is all those at the front line. And yet, we have not imparted any skills to those individuals beyond their clinical training or their technological training. When we think of the kind of skills that people really need, it comes down to those that build relationships, such as building respect, not only with one another, but with those that we're serving, building trust, demonstrating empathy 
we talk about that word a lot, empathy, but exactly how do you do that? What are the exact concrete behaviors? And frankly, what are the words that I would use in various situations to convey empathy? Those are the types of skills that we somehow assume that people have and that are instrumental to collaboration, teamwork, and patient and family experience. But we're not spending any time imparting those skills to those most important individuals. You talk about empathy, um, and that seems like something that would come naturally to somebody. Not everybody is empathetic. So how do you teach that to somebody who's a leader? Can that be taught? It absolutely can be taught. All of these skills that we will talk about are things that can be learned. In some ways, you beg the question, are leaders born naturally or are they made? And to me, uh, the, the question doesn't matter. Um, there are not enough natural born leaders to go around. So we really need to develop those skills in people. And um, things that we take for granted, such as empathy, is, is, is precisely one of them. Empathy is conveyed through very distinct communication skills and listening skills. And it involves understanding someone's reality and validating feelings uh, that that individual is hearing from the other person. Using phrases like, Mrs. Smith, it sounds like this issue is really weighing on you. You're losing sleep and it, it really seems to be affecting your well-being. And I don't have the answer right now, but I know someone who can help. And so let me come back to you this afternoon and we will discuss various options to help resolve the, the issues that are, that are weighing on you. So what that does is it validates someone's feelings as real. It acknowledges them and you are acting upon them instead of just listening and moving on. So empathy is not just a sentiment, but it is an active process as an example. Part of leadership, too, is identifying people within an organization who have leadership potential. Um, how do you help leaders identify those people? Is there a mechanism? Is there something, a module within your program that helps those leaders identify people that are coming up in the ranks or coming up through the ranks who have leadership potential? Yes. In fact, uh, many times what we see in, in healthcare is a nurse manager position will become open. And the person appointed to that role is the best nurse on the team. The same with physicians. A medical director position is open. We often place who is considered to be the best physician in that role. And just because you are good at your day job does not necessarily mean at all that you are going to be a good leader or a good manager. So there is a there is a definite process that can take place in order to optimize the success of that individual in that role. First and foremost, it helps that the individual is actually interested in taking on a formal leadership position. 
And so being able to capture and identify those promising up and comers and acknowledging that they would like to be part of a succession planning cycle within the organization. That's number one. Number two is looking at performing a skills assessment with those individuals who have expressed an interest or who the organization regards as a potential leader. And those skills assessments go beyond your clinical knowledge or your technology uh, savvy. It really relates to how does this person work within teams? Do they contribute currently to a positive culture? Do they have the ability to establish trust within a group? And so there are surveys and standardized tools that can be used in order to assess the potential of new managers and leaders coming into the organization. And yet we often don't apply those tools. Uh, we're often looking for anyone who's willing to take the role and placing them in it. And, uh, and, and the follow-up problem is that those people are rarely trained within a reasonable period of time of taking that role. And so they're trying to do a new job by observing others and, and trial by fire. Um, and that is simply not a recipe for, for success. What does this all mean as far as return on investment for companies? Um, if they invest in leadership and they invest in this sort of training, how does that affect the bottom line? Great question. And first and foremost, leadership development in and of itself is very difficult to identify as the sole variable that leads to hard dollar return on investment. Leadership development tends to be part of an overall strategy to improve organizational results. And by that, I mean either financial results, operational results, but very importantly, results regarding people. Uh, what are your retention rates? What are your rates of being able to promote within your own organization? What is your success in hiring new people and attracting them to the organization? And looking at things like the cost of turnover. And that number has been calculated countless times for various roles within an organization, such as a nurse or a physician or a tech or a pharmacist. And those are very real dollars. And it's not just financial toll that it takes. It takes a cultural toll. Um, you've invested in these people, and now you have to bring in someone new, bring them up to speed, not only in terms of performing their work, but also performing within a team. Turnover is very disruptive. And that is one great measure of looking at return of these types of programs. So when we work with clients, we sit down and build an array of metrics that we can track over time and we're very results focused. So another way of measuring success of leadership development programs are those that are in training and confidence levels that they self-report in terms of a variety of skills. So 
starting out, someone may not feel very comfortable managing conflict. And after a period of time, they may report, oh, I feel very comfortable managing conflict now. That's not necessarily an outcome measure. It is more of a process measure. And while that's important, when we look at return for an organization, we really need to be focusing on outcomes and we need to be focusing on results over time that can be measured. We hear a lot these days about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And one of the things that I've been sort of surprised about, particularly in home care and home health care, are a lot of these smaller companies do not have these programs in place. Does this play a role in leadership? And is this something that resonates throughout an organization? And should companies, even smaller companies, healthcare companies, be putting these plans together? Absolutely, it does. One of the key philosophies of 1821 Health is that everyone in healthcare is a leader. It doesn't matter your rank or your title or your professional background, but everyone carries a responsibility to act as a leader within your organization. This includes the, the physician, it includes the nurse at the bedside, it could include a home health aide. Because in that moment that they enter someone's home, that is a deeply personal interaction. And that individual is representing not only their organization, but frankly, the, the healthcare system. And so being able to exhibit foundational leadership behaviors becomes important for everyone. So if we believe that everyone in healthcare is a leader, then we need to start treating people that way, which means that we need to move beyond the exclusive nature of leadership development. In other words, those that are eligible for leadership development today are those who have sufficient rank or who have a particular title within the organization, and those are the select few that uh, we invest in and are going to be developed. Instead, Offering leadership development to everyone within an organization is the ultimate form of inclusion, making leadership development inclusive. And I often use the working definition of inclusion to mean that everyone here in this organization is valued for what you bring to the table, you are respected, and everyone's contributions are necessary for our success. So what better way to demonstrate inclusion and to show people that they are valued than to develop them professionally as leaders that frankly they can use for the rest of their careers. It sounds like the pandemic really brought a lot of this to a head. Do you think that healthcare organizations without the pandemic would have realized this? had it not been for the pandemic? Uh, the, the, certainly the pandemic accelerated uh, a lot of what healthcare organizations have been experiencing for some time. And this is not a new idea. Many have uh, discussed the, the nature of the underlying challenges within the healthcare system. And the pandemic merely amplified those and accelerated them to the forefront of everyone's minds. Uh, an interesting 
result from surveys that are done of hospital CEOs, for example, um, and one that is conducted by the American College of Healthcare Executives asks on a regular basis, what is the number one concern that you have working within the organization? And financial challenges have been top of the list for many, many years. And the most recent survey, uh, it was the staffing crisis. Um, and so people are now at the forefront of uh, executives' minds in terms of how do we sustain this organization? How do we deliver the services that we need to and, and support the community in which we work without people? And so it's been a very interesting shift and frankly, a long overdue shift in the focus of people as the most valued asset within the healthcare system. It's really brought things into sharp focus. Dr. Rusty Holman, thanks so much for joining us. Enjoyed the conversation. Diane, thank you so much for the conversation and, and bringing this topic to light. Thank you. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in home care news, visit McKnight'sHomeCare.com.